From E-Town Hall in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town, celebrating 30 years on the air. This week featuring highlights from our 2009 season, including artists like Dan Hicks, Judy Collins, Shamika Copeland, David Gray, and more. Plus, a conversation with environmentalist Bill McKibben. I'm Helen Forster. Right now, here comes our host, Nick Forster. Thank you, Helen. Hello, everybody. The weather is getting warmer. Things are blooming out there, and that's usually something that cheers us all up. We've got some great music to share with you this week from our 2009 season, and that will also cheer you all up, I'm sure. And we're going to share, as Helen mentioned, my conversation with environmentalist Bill McKibben, the author and activist who back in 2009 was named by Foreign Policy magazine as one of the most important global thinkers of the year. And that chat will definitely not cheer us up. But it's important even more so than it was back then. But we're going to start out with some live music. In our first segment, we'll hear from Shamika Copeland, the daughter of Johnny Clyde Copeland. She had just put out her fifth studio record that year. David Gray is going to join us. He was at the peak of his powers, of course, in 2009. And up first, from Austin, Texas, the talented singer-songwriter and visual artist Bob Schneider on stage at E-Town from back in 2009. Amazing ladies of the arrow zone She didn't have no kids, she didn't have no time She was a woman of her word, she was a fighter of crime She looked good in a hat, she had a natural way With tools and old cars, she went to UCLA And everybody said she was as crazy as alone When she was a girl, she'd spend every afternoon Sitting in her backyard pretending to be A fighter ace in the Japanese military She liked to make up her mind She kept her feet in the air She wore her heart on her sleeve Cause she'd found it there And it was all well and good Till she met this young man A young pilot named Steve With a beautiful tan And he spoke English and French And he swam like a swan had a mouthful of teeth and more style than Cezanne. He could talk to the bees, he could breathe in the air. He wore his heart on his sleeve, cause he liked it there. And they'd sit in the trees and they'd talk through the night. While the blind moon swam in the pale starry light. And they talked and they crowed and they told what they knew. It was better than beer, it was all strange and new. There was grass all around, there was black up above It was more than hello, it was something like love And I don't know why life it seems to be So hard for dreamers like you When love is love, is love, is a free 
Thank you very much. Please welcome back to E-Town, Shamika Copeland. It's great to have you back. It's good to be back. Thank you, you for having me. You sound great. Hey, I spoke to Oliver Wood, who produced your new CD, or co-produced, I think he produced it. Yeah. He was so excited about it. He really loved working with you. He loved the opportunity to just kind of have your openness about coming from blues as a traditional art form and you having won WC Handy Awards and so on, but you were really interested in finding uh, different textures, different songwriters, different chord progressions, mm -hmm. different instruments. It was Absolutely. He, he had a blast. Yeah, he was just amazing to work with. I mean, yeah. he definitely had a younger, fresher take on music than I'm used to because I, I he's love He's a lot the, older than you. He, he, he's, <laughs> he's, yeah, but he's not as old as the other guys that I work with, yeah. Dr. John and yeah. Steve Cropper. So yeah. uh, he's a little bit younger than them, so... It's interesting because I think blues, kind of like bluegrass, is, an, is a musical form that is so steeped in tradition. There are a lot of people who want it to not change. They want it to just like, no, it has to be this way. But it's great if you can have the, obviously if you have the skills. Well, you know, I always say this like about country. I love country music, but I love old country. I love Patsy Cline and yeah. Hank Williams and, you know, artists like that. But... Uh, their names won't die because they have all these new artists that come out and keep country music going. And it's not the country that I like, or right. maybe, you know, you might like, but it keeps the music going, you know. Right. It's, it's some, for some other people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, another, another new thing on your new record is you began to include some topics that you hadn't usually touched on before, including uh, politics and religion. Yeah, you know... For the longest time, I always stayed away from politics and religion. I mean, I don't usually talk about it with people in general because, you know, it's a sore subject with some people. So I've always stayed away from it. And I always felt like when people come out to the shows to see me, they don't want to they want to leave that BS behind. You know, they see that stuff every day on TV. And but with all the things that are going on in the world right now, I found it impossible not to Absolutely, talk about yeah. it. And and then found a real cool way to talk about it without having it be in your sure. face like other subjects that I've talked about in the past. Like men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry men. Mostly, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I think that it also must be an interesting time for somebody, a young person living in Chicago, to be around political... I know. It's the been political really, arena, pretty exciting time. Yeah, it's been really cool. You know, I was, when Barack Obama won the election, I was standing in a mess hall in Iraq. Wow. And I can't even explain the feeling because you're not allowed to talk about politics and religion there either. So I'm standing there looking at the big screen in the mess hall and seeing, you know, CNN's on. And, and I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, God. Wow. You know, but... We couldn't really show any excitement, you know. You had to, like, keep it to yourself. So um, then that particular day, we were actually getting ready to fly back home. So I was in Kuwait, and everybody there at the airport, hey, Obama, they would see me, and they'd say, hey, Obama. <laughs> like, so. Um, That's sad, but good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, but, you, you know, but when I got back to Chicago, finally after my, 30 some odd hour journey, I could just feel a lightness, you know, yeah. to people walking around the street, you know, everybody just kind of, you know, 
felt better. Yeah. But that must have been an amazing trip being in the Middle East. Oh, it was. Yeah. I had a bla- it was one of the hardest trips I've ever had to take in my life, yeah. but it was definitely a great trip. Very emotional and it, it wasn't so much about the music as it was just being there with those guys. I yeah. I had gave out so many hugs and kisses and I think yeah. I got felt up a couple times too. <laughs> but uh it was it was it was great. It's really great. You know Supporting the troops comes in many forms. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all for a good cause. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely supported our <laughs> troops. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you for stopping here and taking the time to come back to E-Town after all these Thanks years. Thanks for having me. Let's get back to music. Welcome back, Shamika Copeland. Hey there, Helen. Hey there, Shamika. You ready to do this one? Oh, you betcha. All right. Oh, I sounded like Sarah Palin there. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. (laughs) We forgive ya. You know, I really do have a reason to complain because I had a radio show for about two and a half years on Sirius Satellite Radio and Sirius and XM has merged, so they just fired everybody, including me. So this next song's called Who Stole My Radio? (laughs) Who Stole My Radio Show? I'm gonna have to change the words to it now.
so much. Thank you. Shamika Copeland, along with Arthur Nilsson on the guitar, and the E-Tones, Christian, Ron, Chris Engelman, Helen Forster. Right now, help me welcome back to the stage here at E-Town, our good friend, Mr. David Gray. Better close my eyes Go and watch you go Running through this life, darling Like a field of snow As the trees are glad And it's graceful life Send a little prayer the falling dove Tell the reaper man And the stars above Tell the one I love oh, yeah. Perfect summer's night Not a wind that breathes Just the bullets Spread gentle marks the new green leaves. These things I might have said, only wish I could. Now I'm leaking life faster than I'm leaking blood. Tell the
Thank you, Bob Schneider. Thanks, Shamika Copeland and David Gray. We'll be back with more after a short break. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. You're listening to E-Town. Welcome back. We recorded a live show here in Boulder at Chautauqua Auditorium in the summer of 2009 with some very special guests, Sean Colvin, Judy Collins, and uh, our interview guest that week was the celebrated author and environmental activist Bill McKibben, who has gone on to become one of the leading voices sort of sounding the alarm around atmospheric CO2 and climate change. Here's a portion of my conversation with Bill McKibben on stage at E-Town from back in 2009. And we're going to follow that up with our other two special guests from that same show. How are you, Bill? I'm very happy to be here. Welcome to E-Town. Thanks for joining us. You have been writing since your uh, days at Harvard. Is that something you just loved to do as a kid, too? My father was a journalist, so I came by it honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and at the uh, New Yorker magazine, you had some responsibilities there. I wrote the Talk of the Town column as a young man long ago when I lived in the big city. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so how did you become aware, or what led you to the issues that, uh, that led to your book, The End of Nature, that came out in, uh, in 1989? Well, we were finding out the first science uh, about what was happening with the planet. And it was clear it was going to be the big story of our time. And that's how I started as a journalist, as a writer. But the last 20 years, and especially the last few, has been about making the transition to, to being a, um, an activist and an organizer. And mm -hmm. now we're on the verge of the biggest global campaign uh, about global warming that we've yet seen. I know it must have been interesting because it's one thing to have a, a hit book and see it have far-reaching effects, but then at some point you realize that it's still your job to actually make people change their behavior and spread the word and get people fired up. Uh, young people especially rising up finally to take control of this problem, this greatest problem we've ever faced, gets me going every day because now it's happening in every country. That's great. And that's, did it start with um, Step It Up 07? We organized about 1,400 simultaneous demonstrations across the country in the spring of 2007, the first big day of climate protest in America. And it was beautiful and it was successful. Two days later, both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama changed their energy and climate policies. It, it, was, it was good fun. The only problem was that, you know, six weeks later in the summer of 2007, the Arctic started to melt in a way that climatologists thought would take 40 or 50 more years. Wow. It was clear that we were dropping over the edge in a serious way, and it was clear that 
We couldn't solve this problem one light bulb at a time, and we couldn't even really solve it one country at a time. We were going to have to figure out how to go global, which is what this 350.org campaign's been all about. Yeah, 350.org, and we should tell the folks that this is a relatively sort of succinct message, 350 parts per million. In January of 08, our leading climatologists told us that finally we understand enough to know where the red line is. In fact, Jim Hansen at NASA, uh, and his team published a paper that said, if you have more carbon in the atmosphere than 350 parts per million, you can't have a planet similar to the one on which civilization developed or to which life on Earth is adapted. That's pretty strong language. It's stronger still when you know that we're at 390 parts per million now. We're too high. That's why the Arctic is melting. It's why we're seeing rampant drought. It's why glaciers are disappearing. It's why the sea is rising. It's why we've got to finally stop talking about this and start taking some real action. Yeah. And Bill, I know you've spent some time and energy and effort in reaching out to understand both the economic and the business responsibility and the role that businesses can play in having uh, an impact in lowering this uh, carbon footprint, this impact that our human-made uh, impact on the environment has had. You had the book in 2007 that I guess was sort of an extension of the work that people like Paul Hawken began with, um, what was his, The Ecology of Commerce. and. So, so tell us a little bit about how business, in addition to nations, can be a part of this solution. Well, we've got to get the economics right, finally, of the environment. More than anything else, we have to attach a price to carbon dioxide instead of just allowing it to pour freely into the atmosphere. Now, the day we do is the day that business, in a big way, will start making a difference. We'll stop putting up coal-fired power plants and start putting up enough wind turbines and solar panels. We'll stop doing industrial agriculture and start doing the kind of farming we need on a scale we need around this country and this world. Mm -hmm. And so is there a sort of a buzzword people say, okay, well, that's cap and trade, and therefore that's bad? Or you know, what's, what's the uh, obstacle right now? The obstacle right now is that there's not enough political will to get a stiff enough cap on carbon to really start this process going. You know, it's wonderful to talk about the 60s, and the 60s were an amazing time, but we need that kind of passion and that kind of commitment now. And we need it all over the world, and we need it more desperately than we ever have because there's never been a challenge the size of what's coming at us with climate change. So clearly what you're talking about is a social movement that can organize globally around a really critical issue. That's a hard thing for individuals to say, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, let's do that. Then what? We've set up a platform now at 350.org so that people everywhere, and I mean everywhere, I opened the email yesterday or the other day, and there was a picture from a farmer in Cameroon uh, in West Africa. They'd heard about this, seen it on their cell phone understood what we were talking about, planted 350 trees in the edge of their village, took a picture of it with a little sign, sent it to us. We got it on the front page of the Cameroon newspaper. Well, that was good, but it was also just moving mm -hmm. because nobody in Cameroon did a damn thing to cause the planet to warm up, but in this world we inhabit now, they understand that they can play some role in solving it. We not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to happen easily, but it's got to start, and it's got to start now. 
and what's great is the kind of work you're doing. The environmental movement's been too long thinking about people's heads and not long enough thinking about people's hearts. We've got artists and musicians all over the world doing unbelievable work with those three digits. Uh, we've got some of the greatest writers in the world writing 350 word poems. We've got incredible songs coming in from all over. It's amazing, it's beautiful, and it's about time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your work. Thanks so much for being here. Bill McKibben, one of the most respected voices in this conversation about climate change and living on the planet. Bill McKibben. Please welcome back to E-Town, Sean Colvin. Thank you. You guys doing all right? You holding up out there? In Chautauqua? Jilly and I have warmed up a little in here, right? Not too bad. So this is my uh, contribution to the Judy Collins uh, tribute record, and I was so excited and happy to do it, and the E-Tones are going to join me here playing um, one of my favorite songs of Judy's called Secret Gardens. Are you guys warm enough out there? She doesn't pay attention to anything I say. Oh, did he just ask you? So <laughs> what happens when you get married for 18 years, you know. <laughs> Oops. No, I hang on every word. Every spring 
of the people I knew long ago. Inside the old kitchen, they bend and they sigh. My life passed them up, and the world in its way passed them by. Secret gardens of the heart, where the old. Welcome, Judy Collins. Judy Collins, welcome back to E-Town. So good to have you back with us. Oh, thanks. It's so fabulous you to be here. You look great, sound great. Thank you. Just, uh, I don't know how you work it out, but it just works. It's wonderful. And thanks. It's being here in Colorado doesn't hurt. <laughs> You're lucky you get to be here all the time. I know. I know. We did the opposite thing. I moved from New York to here. You're the mountain girl that hasn't come back yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've come back, but not all the, yeah. all the time to stay. But this is great to be here. Welcome back to Colorado. And also welcome back to live radio. You grew up around radio. That was something you were sort of familiar with as a kid, too, right? 
I did. My dad had a show in Denver and uh, in L.A. and Seattle before that, but he was Chuck Collins calling and sang all the songs of Rodgers and Hart and, and also sang the occasional Irish song, you know. Right. Oh, Danny boy, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, let me just talk about a couple of the things briefly before we get back to music. There is a CD that is a tribute to you and your songwriting, and there's a bunch of people who sing songs of yours on that, including people like Dolly Parton, Rufus Wainwright, uh, Joan Baez, Chrissy Hine, Jimmy Webb, Leonard Cohen, uh, Sean Colvin. Who's here. Yes, Sean's on the and, album, um, too. And I have to confess, I hadn't really thought about the body of work uh, of your songs, the songs that you had written in that sort of context until that CD came out. I hadn't thought of you as such a prolific writer as much as an interpreter. Uh, well, it's natural because I started out singing other people's songs, yeah. and it wasn't until I met Leonard Cohen in 1966, and I did discover him. He came down from Canada, and uh, he didn't know whether he wrote songs. He didn't know whether he could play the guitar or sing, and then he sang me Suzanne. <laughs> and I said, well, she certainly can. <laughs> And I'm recording this next week, <laughs> which I did. And then he said to me a little while later, you know, it was a very wonderful, naive, tender time. And I would get these little tapes every few months with a few of his songs. And he'd say, you know, choose one or two. <laughs> and I chose dozens and uh, sang a lot of them. Yeah. But he finally he said to me, why aren't you writing your own songs? I said... Why should I do that? There are so many great songs of everyone's. But then I did write my first song, Since You've Asked, right. and which he, he performs on this CD, and Joan Baez performs it, which is very exciting. And there were other writers that you helped launch. Obviously, um, Joni Mitchell, you gave a head start to. You were one of the first ones to record a Randy Newman song. I recorded Tom Paxton. I recorded lots of Dylan. I recorded Pete Seeger. And I found uh, Dick Farina's songs to be wonderful, recorded his songs. A, a lot of writers I had access to. And a lot of people didn't have any contracts. Uh, Joni didn't have a recording contract. Leonard didn't have. So they would come to me because they knew I was established as, a, as an artist who recorded singer-songwriter songs that they didn't personally write. And I was having a good time doing it. Yeah. Well, you're a, you're a force of nature. You know, you're, you're really you're very strong, wonderful gifts, as I mentioned, and it doesn't surprise me that things have worked out. We're just happy that you stopped by from time to time. Good I to love visit. to be here, yeah. and I love what you do with Great. this program. It's so important. Thank you, Judy. Love it. Thank you. Love E-Town. Welcome back, Judy Collins.
Thank you, Sean Colvin. Thanks, Judy Collins. We'll be back with more music after a short break. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like WETS in Johnson City, Tennessee, on KRCB in Rohnert Park and serving all of Sonoma County, and on WKZE in Red Hook and throughout the Hudson Valley. As always, if you want some more information about any of the stuff we're up to, lots of stuff is online at etown.org. Up next, we've got one of my all-time favorite artists, the late Dan Hicks and his hot licks. Dan was both cutting edge and retro at the same time somehow. He was an innovator who studied old-time swing music and created a sound all his own, twice actually, because he was also a pioneer in the psychedelic era with his first band, The Charlatans. But mostly Dan played his original swing song, sometimes poignant, often funny. Here is my conversation with Dan Hicks on stage at E-Town. 
from back in 2009. Welcome back to E-Town. Thank you, sir. Been a little while. These Been are a great, while. Mm -hmm. These are great, fun songs to play. Well, I'm glad you guys can do it with yeah. us. Hey, and this time we have the added joy of having uh, the lovely singers with you this time. I think last time it was Acoustic Warriors. Yeah. Year. But, um, you know, back in 1968 or thereabouts, you had the idea for bringing in some female vocalists. And did that come from, uh, you know, bands like Ray Charles or Mel Torme? Or where'd you get the idea? I don't know exactly where the idea of the two girl singers came from, but um, I certainly was a fan of that kind of thing in Brazil, 66 at the time, and Dick uh, Benneke in the modern airs, and uh, Mel Torme and the Meltones, and just a lot of different kind of smooth-sounding, jazzy vocal thing. Uh, thinking about those uh, earlier days, you were a drummer first, and were there other players who kind of shared your interest in old swing music from the 30s and 40s or well i don't know i've always been a fan of uh, even since about junior high school age of swing right benny goodman and all that stuff and i always that was my taste that i liked right even as a drummer you know and like so that. you must have fit right in in haight ashbury in 1967. well uh you know i lived right on ashbury right off of haight I actually did, and I'm just trying to think how, how well or not well I fit in. Uh, it was okay. It was okay. It got funky there, though, uh, eventually, when the cops were out with tear gas and uh, the, all the places were being boarded up and everything. It, right. it, it was taken over by sort of a kind of a rough element. Yeah. And that was my time to split, right? so to speak. Yeah. Well, I know that you helped kind of create that cool scene before it, you know, <laughs> collapsed under its own weight. But um, what about the cover of Rolling Stone? Was that a big game changer when you got on the cover of Rolling Stone? Did that kind of change your world? You know, you'd think it would. Um, <laughs> really. Uh, you know, I thought, man, the, the chicks are mine now. <laughs> but it, it, life just kind of went on the same way. Uh, and the thing was only out for like a week or two, two at the most. You know, you're only on the cover for so long, and then it's like your history, you know, it's like... And you can't exactly like buy lots of copies and share them with all the people for you, a long time. You'd like to, yeah. but... Uh, it's so uncool. Uh, so, so yeah. no, and, and career-wise, I don't think it did much. I mean, I, uh, any kind of radical big change, I was... The, the only thing is, uh, it's just kind of nice now I can say I was on the cover of Rolling Stone. You know, mm -hmm. That's about the biggest part. Right, right. And uh, I was on one other time with uh, an anniversary of the Haight-Ashbury, a 10-year anniversary, and they had several band leaders standing in front of the Golden Gate Bridge you could see in the background, and, and there was, uh, well, there was John Cipollina of the Quicksilver Messenger Service mm -hmm. and Grace Slick and Jerry Garcia and Steve Miller and me, I think, and it was, a, you know, we were just standing, and that was a cover at one time. Yeah. But, you know, my life changed after that. <laughs> because everybody knew you had such cool friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Nick. I'm just trying to help. I'm just yeah. here to help. I'm just... And one of the things I want to help do is I want to help sell some of your new records. Oh. So okay. should we talk about the CD a little well, bit, Tangled Tales? Yeah, uh, I'm on this label called Surf Dog, and I've been with them for a few records. 
this is a, uh, a first studio album in about five years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I don't get into the studio a lot. I don't do a lot of recording somehow. Some people make tons of records, you know, it seems right. like, you know. Uh, like, let's just say, for instance, like, say, Van Morrison, he's made 1,233 different albums. <laughs> you know, just for instance. Right. I was looking it up on Wikipedia. Yeah. It's the solid foundation that Gloria gave him. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we got these 12 tunes in uh, Tangled Tales. And uh, the band that plays with me all the time, including uh, the Letcats here, are on the album. And, uh, and you got some special guests on there, too. And I, David Grisman's on could there. I hear him, yeah. Bruce named, Foreman is playing Bruce on there. Bruce Foreman, the jazz. Yeah. And Roy Rogers, blues slide player, yeah. uh, bottleneck. Is Richard Charlie Green. Musselwhite on there, too? And Charlie Musselwhite, yeah. you know, I almost forgot him. And Richard Green. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to say, and I'm not sure I got a chance to tell you this the last time, but for guys like me who were interested in a wide range of, of music, traditional music, and we listen, you know, I listen to bluegrass and old-time string band music and also kind of jug band and, and uh, viper jive and old 30s and 40s swing, and I was interested in all that stuff, but one of the things that helped guide me along that path were your early records and some of your great songs that showed us that this music was not just about looking backwards, but it was also about having fun. And um, you really helped a lot of guys like me aim in, in a direction that has made it even harder for us to make a living as musicians. Right. So, sorry about that. Yeah. You, know, you, you should have stuck with Keith Richards. Yeah. I think. <laughs> but I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I... And I I'm, I don't know if anybody else understood what he was saying, but, but I, I did. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Welcome back, thank you. Dan Hicks. I'm going to do a song that I um, came up with back in the, uh, the kind of period we were talking about, one of the first tunes that employed um, the call and response thing. This is called Evening Breeze. Swing it now. 
Singers, Havix, Roberta Donay, Daria, and Etones. Christian Teal, Ron Jolly, Kip Kipper, Kylan Young sitting in on the violin. Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. It was an honor to play some music with them during their visit. We are just about out of time. Before we go, I would like to remind you that we are living in another tricky moment of global crisis, this time instigated by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's causing millions of citizens, mostly women and children, to flee their homes and find somewhere safe to start over. I am not allowed to tell you what to do to encourage you to do anything in particular. I am allowed to bring up the fact that this is a tragic situation and that if you did want to help out in some way, we have a list of some good options for you on our website, etown.org. Thanks to our production team here at Etown, Todd Ayers, Henry Zimmerman. Special thanks to Helen Forster. We're going to leave you with a song from the band that has spent more time being a legend than being a band. I'm talking about the pride of Lubbock, Texas, the Flatlanders. They're good friends, and we were happy to welcome them to the stage back in 2009. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town.
This is a production of E-Town. That's the way it was in 2009. Some great songs. Thanks to all of our guests. Thanks also to Bill McKibben, who has always been correct on the science of climate change. I'm Nick Forster. Thanks for listening.